Greetings. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Thursday, July 7th, 2022. All right, and we are back this week to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I kind of held off doing this. Uh, I wanted to watch the whole series before we really dove into kind of takeaways. And to help me do that this week, I have two great friends uh, and guys that I'm going to be hanging out with here in just a couple weeks at ScarifCon, Pat and Charles from the Conversations podcast. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you for having us, and uh, we are always happy to join the uh, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, um, and we'll do our best, of course, to somewhat match the talents of Tom. It's, it is a I, tall I make, order. I make no such promises. <laughs> well, that's always that's always your uh, your forte, Pat. You uh, you, you come you come in small but feisty. <laughs> <laughs> and how but yeah yeah I, uh, I figured having pat and charles on here would uh would kind of help curtail my darker self kind of uh tame tame my inner beast as far as kenobi goes i had some some parts of kenobi that kind of got me feeling uh, not so great about how it turned out but charles and pat always are uh, have a positive spin on things and uh, we've talked about this a little bit offline but i uh, wanted to bring this conversation on here so that we could kind of talk through it kind of temper temper my tantrum i guess is the best way to put it and uh kind of come out with uh, an overall kind of feel for how we thought kenobi ended well i hope to use the jedi mind trick on you to turn around your opinions <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that. You're in hiding. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. What I meant was, uh, would you care for some desert tuna? <laughs> Space mackerel, man. Come on. <laughs> Space mackerel. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah. So, no, it wasn't all bad. I definitely thought there were parts of the show uh, that, that worked for me. The other parts, it did not. And uh, and we'll get into the details of that. But I do have to say that, you know, we certainly, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a character that we've known and loved for years and years and years, all the way back to Alec Guinness in the original Star Wars film, uh, and then brilliantly portrayed by Ewan McGregor in the prequel trilogy. And uh, it, it's been a long time coming to see him back on the screen portraying a character that he, you know, famously kind of made his own which was a tall order against the the talented Sir Alec Guinness. 
Uh, and certainly he took it on in a very serious way, you know, getting a voice coach just to, to teach him how to speak the same way Obi-Wan did back in that original trilogy. So, you know, what were your thoughts about seeing Ewan back on the screen? Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion what your feelings are going to be, but yeah, why don't you, why don't you get into it a little bit and tell us what your thoughts were. And I guess I'll start with uh, Pat since he has such a, a deep affinity for Obi-Wan. Oh, yes, I do. Um, so I, I knew as soon as it was announced, I knew that it was going to be something I was excited about. So, you know, when I sat down and watched the first episode, uh, the first thing I noticed was his voice had changed. And it wasn't quite Alec guinness but it wasn't as, um, as sort of traditional Obi-Wan that Ewan had done in the prequels. And I thought that was really kind of a cool thing because he <clears throat> was in hiding. Any transmissions, you know, from his time at the Jedi Temple archives and, and you know, that sort of regal speak that he had uh, was kind of toned down and, and changed. And, you know, if he's in hiding, it makes sense that he would try and sound slightly different. And he's a little closer to... Sir Alex rendition too so it, you can see the transition as he ages to what he sounds like when we see him in A New Hope yeah so it's an interesting point I know that uh, Ewan had said that it took him a little while to kind of find find the Obi-Wan within him it had been years and years since he had played that role and I'm sure that kind of getting back into the old robes as the case may be uh, you know was was not as easy as as it would have been, you know, just between the films when he was working on the prequel trilogy. Uh, you know, it is kind of amusing to see that despite the fact that he's a Jedi in hiding, I know there's a lot of jokes about, you know, oh, he didn't, none of them changed their names, etc. cetera. Uh, I kind of thought he looked like a, a budget Jedi almost, you know, it looked like he had on some sweatpants and some leg warmers and, you know, some lower <laughs> boots. But again, that, that robe, uh, not exactly deep cover when he was in town. Yeah, my uh, my my meat slicer Obi Wan cosplay is almost complete, and I spent I think twenty eight dollars so far. So I mean, so you got I'm the, almost there. You got the deluxe version. Right, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to get the fancy clasp on the belt and everything else. Right, right. Yeah, well, I'm spending like six hundred dollars on my meat slab cosplay <laughs> to partner with his uh, Obi Wan cosplay. So yes, one of us is spending more money than the other. It's a two-person costume, I believe. I'll have to join you in that. It's going to be like uh, the guys that worked Jabba back in the original trilogy. Yes, perfect. <laughs> You're, he's going to be your puppeteer. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my hand. Um, yeah, it was, you know, when I first saw the, the first episode and the recap uh, was yeah. absolutely chilling. And with the music and the uh, just the, the the replay of what uh, Obi Wan had gone through, and it really set the stage for where he was when we first see him, and that immediately gave us uh, and me, well, I'm just, you know, for many people, but gave gave context to where he was at that point, and sort of the downtrodden, the you know, the the sad face, the the whole bit of it, like he just looked like he had this weight of the entire galaxy upon him, and it really helped ground the viewer in where he was at the moment and all that stuff's like, wow, that is exactly what he's gone through. And you let off in this series understanding where he was and where 
uh, he needed to go to. Yeah, I mean, he so, was. This but, was certainly more of a of a beaten down Obi Wan than I was really expecting to see. I mean, when we leave him at the end of the original trilogy, or not the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, uh, you know, certainly he has has had some huge losses: the loss of the Jedi Order, the loss of his brother, uh, you know, Anakin, who is now he believes died. Uh, and, you know, being separated even from Grandmaster Yoda uh, and having to go into exile to watch over Luke. But I didn't really, you know, as he hands off Luke to Owen and Beru at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, you know, maybe it's just that he hadn't had time to process his loss at that point. Certainly losing Padme as well would have been a big hit for him. Uh, and really, you know, everything that he knew about his life. But he uh, definitely was beaten down. And I, I guess you do get a little feel for why that would be. I mean, you kind of get to see the scenes of him watching uh, the workers kind of be taken advantage of, even in that in that fish processing uh, setup that he's working in. And he, you can tell that he wants to step in. He wants to intervene and, and basically, uh, you know, act in a very Jedi-like way. And he has to hold himself back because he knows that his primary responsibility here is to care for Luke and look out for Luke and ensure that he is protected uh, because it was believed that, you know, he was going to uh, one day be trained as a Jedi. Yeah, it's also got to be uh, kind of a weird place for him to be where he's in this position to watch over Luke, protect Luke, but Owen doesn't want him anywhere near him. So, you know, he was probably under the pretense, okay, I'll take him, I'll guide him, I'll be, you know, Uncle Ben, and um, and kind of, you know, help him grow up in an environment where he could teach him about the history of the Jedi and all this kind of stuff before training him and everything. Um, but obviously with the expanse of the empire, he, he couldn't, you know, be public with that. And then also he couldn't have contact with him. So he's, he's got to be feeling so out of place where like, you know, this is my one mission and I can't even talk to the kid. Yeah. I can't even be in the vicinity of him without his uncle, you know, having a panic attack about it. You know, And that really does speak to then his mundane life is almost, uh, you know, he's in witness protection because he knows what he has to do. And he's got this ultimate goal of making sure that Luke is safe and, and with uh, Rue and um, Owen. And so he's he's settled into that regular lifestyle. And he's I think we see what maybe twice where he's on the sort of the bus back to the city. And he's just in this this phase and this yeah. pattern of not that he's given up on the force, because I don't think he's disconnected himself from the force like Luke has in The Last Jedi. But. I think he's just like downplayed. He knows what his role is right now, and he's settled into it. And um, very quickly after that, his world is turned upside down. Yeah, I, I do think it's funny, and, and I don't hang this uh, on the creators of this particular series because it really is something that, that Lucas himself set up. But you end up with Obi-Wan, who sees firsthand what happens to a young boy that is brought in to be trained as a Jedi against kind of the advice of Master Yoda and Master Windu because he's too old and there's much, you know, much fear in him. And uh, you get to see why the children are taken from their parents so young so they don't form those attachments that then can be leveraged to turn them to the dark side. And yet they take Luke, give him a family so he has that to lose, create the attachments, <laughs> right, that he's not supposed to have, and then essentially delay training him until he's older, which is 
again, it's it's just kind of funny. I mean, certainly I would say that uh, it's not just in the newer shows that they can kind of create some some loopholes and some issues. Uh, so, you know, certainly there's certain things that, that are going to happen no matter when you create a show. There's so much out there to draw on that you're going to misstep here and there. Um, but we'll kind of get into it as we talk a little bit. There, you know, there were other things that were more that jumped out at me more as just kind of big uh, departures, I guess, from certain characters and for certain scenarios. But, you know, for now, just, get, you know, getting into the beginning of the story, um, certainly getting to see young Leia. And I know we had young Luke and young Leia in this series. I do have to say that uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, who played young Leia, uh, I could not believe how much they leaned into her in this series, which is shocking. Mm. Um, we saw, you know, what could happen with, with Jake Lloyd and the prequels. And, uh, I know there's people that, that love the prequels and, and had no issue with that, but I thought she did an exceptional job. Uh, you know, there were little things here and there that, that were off, but for the most part, I thought she played an incredible young Leia. Uh, and for how much they leaned into her, I thought she carried that weight incredibly well. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, aside from the costuming that they came up with, for her um, that were, you know, sort of nods to certain stages of Leia's character. Uh, I think she had the feistiness and the uh, the presence was unbelievable. And I don't think they could have found a better actress to portray her in not just the strength scenes, but the, uh, the sad scenes and the emotional scenes. I mean, absolute tour de force for such a young actress. It was completely amazing. Yeah. Pat, what were your thoughts? Yeah, she... Um... I don't, I don't know that I've seen her in anything else. Um, I don't think so either. But, but she, you know, like Charles was saying with the the wardrobe and the the hairstyles and and kind of her rambunctiousness and rebellion against the yeah. old ways of Alderaan, where you know she's you know supposed to be mingling with with cousins and dignitaries and all this, and she's climbing trees and stuff. Just, just being that kind of spirit that that you instantly recognize as well. Of course, that's what Leia would do. Yeah, no, I and I thought there were you know some some key aspects of her character that they nailed. I you know throughout all of uh, the Star Wars lore that's been out there, even some of the legend stuff. You know her. Force abilities tended to lend themselves more to diplomacy, and and I think a lot of that was kind of her intuition and ability to read people, and we do get to see a lot of that within this series. Um, she used it with her cousin there to kind of give him a, a pretty hardcore burn <laughs> in that initial Alderaan scene that we get. Um, you get to see it later when she's interacting with Obi Wan and how intuitive she is about the fact that he's hiding things from her, and you know, uh, it, I just thought that 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 was something that they did really well. Um, I just, you know, it, she did, it didn't seem forced. She really seemed to be genuinely uh, tuned in to the characters that she was around. Totally. And it gave, you know, Obi-Wan a legitimate reason to sort of get off planet and yeah. get off, you know, and get out into the galaxy to, you know, pull the story off of Tatooine and, and make it more of a series, not make it more of a series, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, the catalyst for the story wasn't Luke anymore. Now it's Leia and she's on Alderaan and she gets kidnapped. And so there's a whole different avenue of the series that um, allows for different worlds and, and different explorations that ultimately end up back at Tatooine, but it gives that pause and that option for uh, different uh, species and that kind of thing. So I think that ultimately worked out well 
Um, and as we'll get to it by the end of the series, I think that they've uh, really handled it well, how it's transitioned into a new hope. Yeah, I think I think ultimately you've got these two children that are to be protected by these these two figures, Bail Organa and, and Obi-Wan. So the only thing that's going to pull him away from Luke is if Bail can't protect Leia like like he's supposed to. Because, you know, even with some convincing of, look, you know, I got to watch after the boy, it's like, look, you know, they're both important and I can't find her. I need your help. Once this is done, then you go back to him and no harm, no foul. But that's really the only thing that would have been able to pull him away from Tatooine and, and his mission to, to watch over Luke. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I think going into this, there were really only two roads they were going to be able to go down. One of them was that uh, they were just dealing with things that were happening on world on Tatooine. And I think that's a very small galaxy to deal with in terms of any kind of show that would that would truly make anything about Kenobi that much more interesting I always figured they were going to have to take him off planet I you know I didn't think it was going to be anything related to Leia I thought there were going to be potential uh you know potential information that was found out about the the connection uh with Tatooine certainly you know Obi-Wan had spent time on Tatooine back during the uh prequel trilogy um Anakin certainly had ties uh, to Tatooine, uh, so you know there were there were things that I think they could have explored. The one of the big things that that jumped out at me early in the show was that the catalyst for this entire thing, and the reason that Leia is brought into the picture is this, you know, singular comment that gets made by Reva, the third sister, the uh, member of the Inquisitors, that she found a connection in the Jedi archives between Bail Organa and Obi Wan Kenobi. So there's, I mean, it's literally a one-line explanation for, for what launches this whole story. And there's nothing, I mean, there's, I mean, literally all of the links between Obi-Wan and Bail Organa, really in the prequels, all were happening around the fall of the Jedi and nothing that certainly would have been put into the archives. So if that is going to be your, the, the, the catalyst, the basis for your entire story, spend five minutes and come up with a believable way that could have happened or or some information there could have been a hollow recording of you know something where they caught uh you know Bale and, and Obi-Wan together at the spaceport or you know whatever come up with come up with that that just takes away that core issue right there and at least shows that you care enough about it to really set that hook uh before you get into the story because once once you accept that then it's believable that if they kidnap Leia, then Obi-Wan's going to come calling. But to just kind of have it be a throwaway line was, it's one of those things that, that struck me as kind of lazy storytelling, uh, especially for something that's the basis of your entire tale. Uh-oh. Well, uh, don't underestimate a single line because True. a single line about the plans for the Death Star turned into one of the best Star Wars movies. Well played, well played. <laughs> And I think that's also the other side of it is that there's the for the I guess the more more seasoned fans who are watching every last detail of every movie, they could probably sense that there's somewhere along the way after the uh, the Jedi were cleared out of the te- the Jedi Temple and in comes the you know the 501st and then obviously the Inquisitors scouring jedi temple for any you know any evidence of all the jedi right. 
right. and she stumbles across or someone stumbles across, like like you just said, uh, a video recording of Bale and Obi-Wan in a hallway conversation that we didn't even see on camera that links the two of them. And I suddenly, oh, that's the mental leap that she makes to get um, that, uh, that information. Now, when we see, of course, we understand that Riva was one of the younglings that was run through essentially by Anakin in that Jedi temple uh, in the crash there in the, uh, for the uh, young younglings. Mm -hmm. So there's that immediate connection. So when, if she's showing up there after the fact, there's a sort of more, more of a burning desire to find a connection between any of these major players to ultimately draw out Vader because she's now looking for revenge. And so we only find that out at the end of the series but even even watching the first episode, and I was I, I remarked when I watched like my gosh, she is like driven, like right. over the top, aggressive. So there's something else going on, and you know nothing to take away from the performance because as we're watching it, we don't know where this is going. This is right. just like she's just very you know massively driven and uh, brutal to a certain sense. But we understand where that's coming from, and then we find out the whole story. It uh, it does make. Again, it's, it is a mental leap because you just like, well, you should probably find that out here or there. But like you said, one line or absolutely one sentence could literally bridge that gap between how did she find out to, oh, that's the reason why, and let's move on from it. Right. You know, it's it, Pat, certainly interject if, if you got something to say. But I was just going to say that, uh, you know, one of the things about about stories like this and, and series that are out now, certainly the 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 direction has changed to doing more of these, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 episode series, uh, as opposed to films for a lot of things. Cause there's so much more ground you can cover and you have so much more, um, ability to, to avoid having kind of these, these holes, things that could have easily been addressed with just a little of additional detail. Uh, and Charles, uh, I, you, you and I have watched Westworld. That's one of my favorite shows. I, I love the level of detail and the level of uh, just quality that they put into everything they do. And, and it's actually kind of driven me to get away from reviewing things episode by episode because one of the things that they do in Westworld is that there will be things that are addressed very casually and then later that episode or a couple episodes down the road, you may get the, the payoff to that where you kind of get to see what happened that led to these other things that you've experienced. And that's kind of why I, I, I didn't make a big deal about it when it happened. I, I thought maybe there was going to be a, a similar type of situation where we got another throwback to, to maybe something where Reva had, had somehow obtained this information. I will say that I do love the way this series opened that, as you pointed out, the, the youngling crush that they were getting their training in and, um, you know, seeing how kind of things unfolded from the Jedi perspective when order 66 unfolded and, and the mm -hmm. 501st moved into the Jedi temple. I thought that was uh, a cool kind of twist on what we had seen previously. And it really kind of established, us, us back in that world um but yeah it was you know again I, it's i just there shouldn't be a reason to leave things like that 
unexplained, I guess, uh, when, when your whole story depends on it. But I certainly understand, Pat. I think you make a good point. You know, a lot of things have occurred uh, based on just one line, and, and I actually have another point that I'll make later on when we get to that. Uh, but uh, another one-liner that kind of has some serious impact that, that kind of left me scratching my head. But moving on moving on from that, unless, Pat, do you, you have anything you want to say on the on the issue? On the issue of the opener? Uh, you know, just, yeah. I mean, you talked a little bit about the fact that you know one line, uh, unexplained, can oh. can still lead to a major major film. But yeah, anything with regard to the opener or, uh, you know, kind of the events of that first episode that really jumped out at you. Yeah, I mean, just the introduction of the Inquisitors. It was such a cool thing to see them in in real life. Um, you know, uh, because this is. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Right. Are you right. Are you saying this is not real life? <laughs> oh, it's man. totally real You're life. The worst. You're the worst. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like because Rebels. I loved Rebels so much. Yeah. And you know, to see anything from animation jump to screen, like like when we saw Ahsoka in you know, in the flesh, as it were. Um, it's just it's. It's great to see these things cross different mediums and and be part of more stories and and get really um, explored deeper in live action. So you know to see them uh, was really cool. Uh, very s- sort of a strange look to the Grand Inquisitor, but that's it, fine. It opens um, up some cosplay options for Charles. That that's true. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> This is way too narrow. Way <laughs> exactly. too narrow. Sorry. Right, right. You're gonna need a lot of white paint, buddy. <laughs> and a more refined accent, I feel. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so so those were those were my my biggest um, uh, biggest sort of takeaways from the first episode was was the the opener and the just the introduction of the Inquisitors and how. Um, how they kind of drove the story yeah. and, and yeah, even, even with Riva doing her thing and, and being so driven, the other two were like, um, like cool your jets lady. Like, yeah. like yeah. you know, stay in your lane. Like, what do you think this is? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it was interesting to see that dynamic between even her and, and the grand inquisitor. She yeah. was like, basically, regarded herself as as more important than them more um you know she's like i just got back from seeing vader no biggie and they're <laughs> I, like wait what i'm like yeah. what are you doing i gotta give her credits the first time i think in the disney era i've seen anyone cut off a limb with a lightsaber yes right yeah. i mean this oh, used true. to be a regular occurrence now everything's a flesh wound finn got sliced up his back and it was just like I uh, got a Band-Aid and a little cold spray. We're good to go. Back to tank. You're good to go. icy hot. Right, right. right. But that conflict certainly sets up the fact that her uh, her motives, while you know people sort of guess that maybe she may have been the youngling that uh, was in the first scene or the recap, um, certainly gives this, uh, the Inquisitor, like Pat was saying, Inquisitors, um, friction among them because their, sta- their stature within... The Empire was sort of low-life, sort of 
you know, uh, attack dogs from Vader's perspective. They're just there to serve a purpose. Yeah. Go and find the Jedi, report back to me, I'll take care of them. And the, the infighting between them set this other dynamic up that's like, wow, this could be kind of interesting and set off Reva, who was, you know, a, a subordinate position to the Grand Inquisitor, yet is uh, acting as if she's superior. It gave a very cool dynamic and, you know, led episode one into two. But also the fact that they packaged those two episodes, one and two, on the first release day, yeah. I think was a very smart move because yeah. had they only released episode one, I think it would have been not challenging, but I think that the, the first two or three episodes for me personally, until they got into fourth episode, it was, okay, where are we going with this? And I think those first two episodes gave us a glimpse that, okay, there's there's something coming here. And, you know, we all we all try to give any star wars a chance and not sort of overjudge based on one episode because it's basically it's not the whole story right but you know like you're renting before rob with westworld um you watch one episode and holy yeah boom you're invested right um if it's you know if it can work the first episode will get you no matter what mm -hmm. and i'm very glad we got the first episodes together yeah, I, you know, one of the things that jumped out of me with the Inquisitors that, that actually I was in tune with was the whole idea of how they talk about how they draw the Jedi out, right? Uh, because, as we saw with Obi-Wan, you know, when he sees injustice, when he sees someone being taken advantage of, his, he's pre-programmed from, from childhood to react to that and to... Uh, you know, to step in and defend them or to, you know, to go to bat for them. And that idea that the Inquisitors certainly would have understood the motivations of a Jedi. Many of them were ex-Jedi themselves uh, and were basically had been trained uh, to use that to expose these people who were supposed to be hiding, uh, you know, knowing that their their very own nature was going to expose them to the Inquisitors, I thought was, you know, was very much in keeping with, with what I would expect from any um, you know, dark side, uh, kind of vigilante or, or you know, uh, kind of execution team from the Emperor and Vader. Yes. So then what that does to Obi-Wan is in order to stay in hiding, he, like you said, Rob, kind of refrains from standing up to the foreman that's mistreating the, the workers at the, at the fish camp. And, um, and, and really just kind of compromising right and saying you know for for the for the safety of of Luke and and myself i have to you know keep my head down and shut my mouth which digs away at your duty mm -hmm. as a jedi to to help so you know in that in that sense you feel like you're betraying your roots and and your oath to protect yeah. Because you're actively not protecting when when there are uh, injustices being done. So that's got a way on him as well. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I could see that uh, over the course of 10 years wearing him down and, and getting mm -hmm. him to that kind of beaten down state. So, again, it wasn't it, very much in the way that we saw a very battered down Luke Skywalker uh, in the sequel trilogy, which was a huge departure from what everyone had seen the last time he was in a film. And granted, it was over a, over a longer period of time again. Um, 
but you have to be very careful when you do that to a character. And, and I do have to say, I, I think they did enough to kind of explain that uh, within, the, especially the first episode, just kind of talking about, like you said, those little compromises that you start making and they start turning into bigger and bigger things. I totally buy that. And, I, and, and that didn't really strike me uh, as anything discordant. I didn't really have any issue with that whatsoever. Um, really the biggest gripe that I had with that with that episode was Leia and the chase where she ends up getting kidnapped which I was shocked that that made it past editors I thought the Benny Hill thing should be playing in the background she went left and they also went left it was bound to happen. Yeah, I know. It's grabbing children, uh, grabbing a grabbing a child and kidnapping them. I think requires putting your arms out at some point. <laughs> They're not just going to run into them. Yeah, that. I mean, it was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I know some yeah, people didn't have an issue with it. I I actually went back and rewatched the episode just to make sure that I hadn't overreacted to it the first time, and I was like, "Wow, this is not not what the I was expecting." To watch it. The key is to watch it and fast forward and that put the Benny Hill that, on. Right, right. With the Benny, yep. <laughs> that could have key. stole it off the shrimp on the treadmill video. Well, actually, Pat and I solved the entire thing in Did our um, Jurassic Park episode oh, where boy. we just compared it to the Tyrannosaurus and its sort of small front limbs and massive back limbs when right. it ran into that, that tree that was sort of blocking the way. Yeah. It was a Jurassic Park call-out, so that, that's what we think is the right. ultimate I like why it. that's I, the way it played out. I'm clearly not a savvy enough viewer to, to catch that. <laughs> Drive faster. Drive faster. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> the other well, thing, yeah, and, and I will tell you, Flea, Flea was less offensive to me <laughs> than some of the other cameos in Kenobi, yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you that I am 100% behind. If you are going to do a cameo, do it the way J.J. Abrams was doing the cameos within Force Awakens. Put them behind him. a helmet or a mask. I do not... <laughs> Again, there's certain characters that you that you're gonna have to see there. You know, you you get a Katie Sackoff or whatever playing Bo-Katan. She totally fits the role. It's not just rando. It could have been played by anyone. But dear Lord, I, Danny Trejo in Book of Boba Fett. We got Flea. We got uh, uh, what? Kamel Gajani or whatever. Get, I, I do not need these people who only play one thing ever zero range to their acting <laughs> put them behind a mask have them make grunts and give out portions uh, hey hey listen though i mean simon Pegg uh, does that right. was a good one look if daniel craig <laughs> is willing to put on a bucket these these <laughs> actors can put on a bucket yeah but let's and talk I, about I, but let's talk about the best cameo once they get to episode two on daiwu let's not do it don't Captain Rex. Morrison, yeah, as a clone <laughs> veteran, exactly, a five hundred first clone it, veteran, no less. It it was instantly amazing. It was instantly heart wrenching, mm-hmm. and it really did set the tone for where they were in that series. And it was, I, I've watched that that particular scene probably five times. I haven't watched the episode five yeah. times, but I've watched that scene just because of how, you know, the way that Obi Wan interacts with them. Because they both have this weight to the, to them, and it's uh, it's one of the best parts of the entire series, in my opinion. No, I thought that was a, a spot on cameo. What were your what were your thoughts on that, Pat? 
so I saw it, I think, before either of you because I was at work. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was on lunch break. Yes. I was on lunch break at, <laughs> at 3 a.m. Exactly. Off the clock. Right, right. So 2.58, lunch break, Ooh. and here we are. So, um, <laughs> so, and I was like, I just watched the scene. You could just you see it in his eyes. That not only is it is it Tem behind this this huge beard and and raggedy hair, but you could see the the hopelessness, the abandonment, and the sort of lostness of someone uh, of of these like homeless vets that that you see in actual real life, like someone who'd um, been ridden hard like a bantha. Yes, just like a bantha. Yes. Um, so, you know, so it's 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 very emotional and and, and almost like um, it's it's got a real world parallel to it because you see these these once great heroes um, that are now struggling to survive, and that's what you see in here. And I remember. I think as as soon as Tom was like, eh, morning Thursday, blah, blah, and I'm like, ah, hey, so now that everyone's up, um, <laughs> Who's watch this it? show so we can talk about <laughs> Tim Morrison being in it. Yeah, I it was it, the other interesting thing about that was there was like multiple reactions Obi Wan had almost simultaneously, right? So first he's like, oh crap, does he recognize me? And then the connection seems to get made that he realizes that this is a member of the 501st. He has the blue markings on his armor of, of a member of the 501st. So this is not just a clone trooper, uh, not just some beaten down veteran. This is likely someone who was on the ground in the Jedi Temple slaughtering his family. Uh, and he knows he can't do anything about that either. So, you know, there's there's multiple uh, kind of emotions that flash across him, and I did think it was a great cameo. I thought uh, it was a much better use of Tamara Morrison than than anything they did with him in Book of Boba Fett. Um, but, yeah, I, <laughs> apparently he was down in that Sarlacc pit for a good 10 or 15 years. But, uh <laughs> Oh. No, I, I thought it was a great I thought it was a great uh, little throw into that to that second episode for sure. Yeah. Now, when we get to, <laughs> we'll skip over. We'll skip over the sheer luck of Obi Wan just wandering onto the planet and immediately having someone come to him and offer him the information on where he could potentially find a Jedi that can lead him to Leia. Uh, <laughs> apparently, people are going around talking about the Jedi right and left all the time, uh, I, and I don't know about the intelligence of of uh, making it known that you're a Jedi, quote unquote. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I feel like that's that's a death sentence. Yeah. Yes. This was <laughs> this death. was another yeah. selection that just took me out of the story. The the Kamal Najani uh casting. Um and, and he plays the you know, this kind of glib, sarcastic same character that he plays pretty much every everywhere he's at. And then they start throwing him against Obi Wan kind of in, in, directly in these scenes and the seriousness of Obi-Wan up against that was just so so discordant for me. Uh, and I get that, that to a degree that's what they're going for. Um, I did wonder why with all the magnets in his gloves when he reached for the credits, they didn't either go flying off the table or you know suck up into his hand. Uh, 
apparently his force power. He has the power to control magnets, which is not a force ability that I've seen before. But uh, yeah, again, interesting casting choice. Um, how did that? How did that role work for you guys in the show? Um, I would have to agree. I think that uh, you know there were actually there were actually parts where his, I guess his, from my perspective, his persona did drop, and there's a few lines, whether it's here in this part of the movie, uh, the series, or the next episode, or the last episode, where there is that uh, genuine sort of acting coming out versus yes. his his typical sort of delivery. I, I agree. I you know there's something I can say about that. I agree with you. I think yeah. there's a, a certain level of expectation from a, a character actor, and he brought that. Now, granted, his character was that. He was he a was. false Jedi. He was meant to be that type of person that's like acting and you know fooling people to get their money, ultimately helping them, but he was a false Jedi. So I get that side of it as well. So I'm trying to temper both views of that, but there were genuine parts of it where he did shine a little bit. And, um, you know, when he called him Obi-Wan Kenobi, mm. um, without actually knowing who, like his, that name wasn't given. Right. So he knew who Obi-Wan Kenobi was. And the way he delivered that, that actually struck out at me as a, Wow, that was well delivered and also had impact, which which is good for you know for the character he was playing. Yeah, there were I mean there were moments I I would agree that there were times where he dialed it back a little bit. It seemed a little more earnest, and then he'd make a glib comment, and it was kind of like, oh, dude, come on. But you know, it was things like uh, when when Reva corners him in the alley, and he's just kind of being a smartass to to Reva. Yeah. She's supposed to be this inquisitor. She's supposed to be this terrifying figure. And honestly, most of the appearances of the inquisitors, especially in in some of the games that have come out, um, and even to a lesser extent in some of the animated series, they're generally pretty menacing characters. Uh, and so, you know, to kind of be so indifferent to that, she she certainly was going to know he wasn't a Jedi, but there was no guarantee she was not going to cut him down where he stands. And if and if he's as self interested as his character uh, was kind of portrayed as, it just seemed discordant. Again, it just kind of took me out of it a little bit. But uh, again, one character uh, neither makes nor nor destroys the series. There were you know other things um, that uh, that kind of tweaked me about it. But um, certainly there were times where he was able to dial that back. I would agree. I mean, can you guys just leave the televangelist alone, please? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so in my notes, um, cause I took notes on my second viewing, um, of each episode and literally in my notes, it says Kumail Nanjiani, a Jedi. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like that sort of, okay. So this is what we're doing here. Right. All right. Great. And then, of course, with the remotes and magnets, it's just a bunch of simple tricks and nonsense. That's right. But let's not forget, let's not forget um, the um, the bounty hunters. Like, where else are you going to find a raptor with a mohawk? Yeah, and that Ooh. character actually was a throwback. I can't remember if it was a comic. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I, I cannot comic. remember the name of that species. But yeah, I mean, again, I, I can appreciate that they're throwing in stuff that 
uh, for people who were like super hardcore fans and or were into the comics and things like that, and I never, I never really got into the comics. I've read some uh, just specific to to certain arcs that I thought were important, and there's some with Vader and the Inquisitors that I I had read for the Inquisitorious episode, uh, just because I was interested in that. But uh, it's cool that they pull some of that stuff forward. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a different look—a a Velociraptor or, or a, a alligator Loki with a mohawk, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's great that now they have all this merchandise for Jurassic World, because my raptor bounty hunter with a mohawk cosplay is also going to come in handy. Yes, I love it. <laughs> like I said before, like having those first two episodes back to back was a brilliant play because that second episode does end with our first scene of Anakin as Darth Vader, and you know it's. It immediately, they don't spare them the time, thankfully, to get the coveted character that we're all expecting in episode number two. And that gave me a lot of hope for the next episode and how we're going to progress into the series. And that was a really, really good thing that they did that because I think that, like I said before, um, the first two were story setting. They're setting the whole thing up. They, they got to build where we are and where we're at and what are the tension points and what are the stakes and boom, they end with that uh, with that scene, and it was immediately. It's like, oh man, I, I now I cannot wait for episode three. And well done on them for that. But the really important thing that you totally ignored is that Obi Wan couldn't catch Leia either. <laughs> what right. what happened to with, Jedi with the, speed? Okay, so the T Rex with the tiny no. <laughs> No. So this is T Rex okay. Obi Wan. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Right, I'm, right. I'm with you. Uh, so what about what about uh, Inquisitorious Parkour? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can can we I mean, stop with the parkour in Star Wars, please? Uh, well, we I had mean, Fennec do it in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Now we've yeah. got Reva doing it in in Kenobi. Uh, I don't think parkour is from a galaxy far, far away. Right. That's one of those. Yeah, that's one of those cons that wow, uh, far I got, outweighed the pros. I got an I'll allow it from Pat. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take that yeah, victory. But there yeah, I you know, there are certain things within the series that just were the chase scene with with both chase scenes, I agree, with uh with Leia, um that sort of ring true to okay, really? There's the parkour, there's you know, it's it's hard to overlook. Yeah. Uh, for sure. No, again, again, it's one of those things that that it's easily it's easily fixed. I certainly understand what they were trying to go for. They were trying to show that, you know, she was using her force abilities to go from building to mm-hmm. building. Um right. you know, I was trying to ignore the fact that she did it for she, she was only like five buildings away. And <laughs> and she did all this force stuff, but didn't get to the building. Obi-Wan had time to fight off the bounty hunters, save <laughs> Leia from falling off the building, get to the alley, have a conversation. She still wasn't there. Uh, she's, she must have been taken. She must have been taken one of those, a force shortcut or something like that, that uh, maybe the bridge was or out. Bad Google. Bad guru or whatever. Right, now. right. <laughs> she was a recalculating. Rude. She yeah. She had uh, she she hadn't updated her uh, her Sith Garmin. Sith Garmin. <laughs> oh. oh, that's right. They said that uh, all the Wi-Fi on the planet was blocked. Right, so that was right. Probably. That's no. Oh, that's what happened when when 
Leia got in trouble. Right, right. They shut down uh, all the Wi-Fi because <laughs> she's now she's got no devices and right. neither does anyone else. Right. right. It's the ultimate parental the time. time. Invasion is yeah. right. Right. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, so we get to episode three. We finally get the confrontation between Obi Wan and Vader, and I will say that I, I did love the the Tala character um, that they introduced, kind of uh, you know helping assist you know the Imperial officer helping assist the Jedi down this path to freedom, uh, very much kind of like a Jedi Underground Railroad. I will say they clearly saved some money on uh, on some of the sets. Certainly the uh, the Imperial Way Station. <laughs> I think they did that because the 501st needed a uh, quick and dirty sets for uh, for an upcoming, you know, con or something like that. Uh, They're like, it's half done. We'll use it. It's fine. It's about time I saw a laser gate, though. Yeah. And it produced the Wilhelm scream. I mean, mm-hmm. how bad can it be? Yes. Well played. Well played. The Wilhelm hey, scream you, of the episode. You'd Wilhelm scream, too, if you were falling onto a laser gate. Yes. Uh, briefly (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the the majority of this episode certainly uh you know we do get a little bit of uh insight into what's going on in the good old uh fortress inquisitorious there on the on the moon of nur uh which was cool to see and uh kind of set up some stuff from uh episode four but uh getting to actually see uh vader make his appearance and and uh the brutality that he used once again you know using using brutality against others to try to lure obi-wan out uh and play on his emotions was very much in keeping with what they had set up in that first episode yeah, and I think, too, just seeing um, kind of the ruthlessness and the lack of care on behalf of the Empire, yeah. where when Obi-Wan and Leia are going through the wasteland, and he's like, oh, this used to not be like this at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and just just through greed and, and you know, self-interest, the Empire has just destroyed this place, and and ravage the resources and really destroy the people Yeah, because mm-hmm. the people that are still living there are living in fear. And, and those that were, or may have been force sensitive have been scooped up and dealt with. That planet was California, right? Uh, yes. Yes. It's weird. Cause like they just got there last week. Yes. The backstory with <laughs> the backstory was basically pre-made for them. <laughs> Well, only uh, only the golf horrible. only the golf course has got water. <laughs> okay, you were you were on the um on the topic of Vader uh being ruthless and yes. and um in his quest for Obi-Wan. Yeah, and I will say, you know, this was this was another uh kind of subset of that whole little village where they were holed up is that one thing Star Wars has almost always done an amazing job at is droids. And Ned B, the uh, the cargo droid that uh, was basically guarding the hideout, I mean, they managed to nail it even with a droid that didn't say a word, uh, which I think is a, is a big testament to, uh, you know, how that particular scene was directed and played by by the actor that was uh, inside that suit. But uh, again, I mean, even to the point where later on in the series, uh, you know, there's emotion surrounding that character to a certain extent. Um, 
what what kind of worked for you with that whole scene within the kind of the the entrance to the path and the storyline behind how they were smuggling Jedi to safety? I mean, I found it fascinating that you know, with Obi Wan when he arrived with Leia at this, at the point where they were supposed to meet, what ends up being Tala, and she was sort of uh, you know held back, and they meet Freck, and it sets a very um, odd tone because Freck at this point is like he loves the Empire. Hey, what's wrong with a little bit of order, you know? And so for Obi Wan, he's got a perspective of the uh, the layout and the environment that's different from the last time he was there. So already it speaks to adventures whether it was in the clone wars i don't know but he was there we haven't seen where when he was on this planet right so that could be an exploration point but um so there's an offsetting or an off-putting uh feel about the entire scene and of course then we go through the whole checkpoint mm-hmm. tala comes there and, and they rescue her uh, they rescue them and she brings them back to the safe house and uh, ned b uh, you know <laughs> the uh game of thrones fan of me can't uh, help right, deny right. the fact that Tala was an actress in Game of Thrones and Ned was one of the main characters although he didn't make it past Briefly, the season but anyways, um, it was a fantastic uh, use of droids and like you said Rob was that the, the, the great way that Star Wars has always done droids has you know almost like a human approach to how they go about their duty but when duty changes so do they and it was a fantastic change and it was a heartwarming and ultimately, you know, like a tough scene to see, but yeah. uh, a great, great way of bringing yet another uh, droid favorite into the Star Wars family. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting episode. Certainly, there were some some key moments. Uh, you know, the conversation between Obi Wan and Leia in the transport yeah. there with uh, mm-hmm. as they were kind of working their way to the Imperial checkpoint. And again, that's one of those great scenes that really kind of shows her intuition as far as Obi-Wan goes. Plus, you know, her ability to think quickly on her feet when he slips and calls her Leia. Yeah. And, but you know, I thought, I thought they played that pretty well. Again, I always feel bad for the stormtroopers to a certain degree, but you know, you're starting to see <laughs> we, we, the last time we saw stormtroopers, we were dealing with clone troopers, you know, kind of the creme de la creme, all built off this clone of Django Fett, and uh, and now we're starting to see the evolution into the stormtroopers that we get in the original trilogy, and kind of how the guys that get put on these, you know, backwater, uh, bottom line posts, I would call them. Uh, you know, they're just kind of going about their duties. Hey, transport's late again. You know, what are you going to do tonight? I'm going down to the bowling alley. <laughs> Just totally disinterested. These, these guys are like the bottom of the class. They, they totally are. Yeah, still a step above. Like, uh, yeah, Finn. They're not. They're not uh, doing. You know, garbage duty. But uh... right, right, right. Well, you never know. But right. yeah, it's like they they just passed the Imperial Academy, and then Empire's like, oh, right. You're going over there, buddy. By the way, the armor's <laughs> filthy. I think I think it was really interesting to see the. Um, the almost underground railroad type of um, situation that they had for the Jedi, because it was really um, that sort of like, you know, secret rooms and networks. And you would go from here to there. And then that planet would bring you, you know, to, to a group of people that you could um, hopefully escape with and all. Um, So I think it was very interesting to, to have that group of, non-force sensitives that mm-hmm. just knew the importance of the Jedi and even risked their safety and their lives to to help get them to freedom. Yeah, and very much that cell type 
you know, setup that that kind of led to the creation of the Rebel Alliance. We see a lot of that in Star Wars Rebels, and this is, you know, the very yeah. early days of it, uh, even before that show. But, um, you know, very insulated to make sure that if anyone gets compromised that they don't take down the entire network. But still, you know, rudimentary. And it was, again, it was one of the inspirations for doing that Quinlan Voss episode that, uh, that we'd done a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, just to see Quinlan Voss come up and there were a number of other Jedi names mentioned in the, in the, uh, chicken scratchings on the wall. I won't get into all of them mm-hmm. here. Uh, there's plenty of people online who've broken that whole thing down, but, uh, you know, again, most of them are, are very ancillary characters within the Jedi order. N- none of the big names that you'd expect, but Quinlan Voss was definitely up there in terms of someone who's been referenced a few times, at least yeah. in uh, animated series and, uh, even had his own book though. Uh, Cool to see some of that and, and the fact that there were still people that Obi-Wan knew that uh, that were kind of keeping mm-hmm. the faith. And I think that was kind of a, a lichpin to him, uh, you know, kind of starting to find find his own uh, way back to who he had been previously. I completely agree with that. That's a huge point because I think that he saw this path and saw that there was other, um, not just Jedi, who were trying to do the better for the galaxy, but there's also non-force sensitive people helping them as well so it i it was a step i think in his rediscovery of what he needed to be and it also showed him that uh he wasn't alone right and that's huge for him yes pat as pat nods vigorously yes indeed. and consults his Uh, and consults his notes um i also loved how um when leia was talking to obi-wan about the force you know we we get a very oh, intimate look yeah. at the force and you know when she when she says you know uh you know what's what's it like how you know and and he says have you ever been afraid of the dark how does it feel when you turn on the light yeah it feels like that i did, think, just- I, I did think it was interesting that that in his description of what the force felt like he compared it to to something that combats fear right because the jedi order was very much about you know there is no fear but the reality is that there's always that fear it's it's your ability to overcome it and that is really what you know to be able to not be afraid because you understand you're a part of you're a part of the force and you're you know you're going to merge with the force when you die and that if you die in service to that greater goal then then there's truly nothing to be afraid of and so I, I did think that was an interesting choice of words and an interesting uh, way to explain it to Leia. Completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a stamp of approval. But it also brings it to you know she's 10 years old, but it brings it to a level that she can understand, yeah. you know, the, the nighttime, the darkness, it's, it's a, it's a comforting light and to, you know, and it also helps her in her development too, in the future that this is what it's going to be like and perhaps helps her development and give her a step into uh, the force and be more ready for it when she's ready to see it. Well, and you know, a basis for maybe her becoming the fearless warrior that she became as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely, yep. definitely interesting. And I apologize for the occasional pause. This is, uh, I always have to get used to, uh, to having more than one person on. Cause when Tom and I are on, if I stop talking, he knows to pick up, but when there's two people on, <laughs> I keep forgetting that I need to hand it off to someone or everyone's waiting for someone else to talk. So 
<laughs> things to learn. But uh, Tom, you're you're always in our thoughts. Uh, hopefully, you and your lovely wife Michelle are having a great time down there in Florida. I know she's arriving tomorrow, so uh, hope to have you back on soon, sir. Yes, sir. Then uh, he won't have to deal with us uh, chuckleheads. Oh. <laughs> You're all my best car friends. <laughs> all my best car friends. Um, yeah, and and it's interesting to get that in in insight into Kenobi himself because he you know kind of talked about how he was taken from his family. He thought he had a brother and. Um, then he got a new family to kind of relate to her and how she has a new family. And I think she had a brother too. I don't know. There's some parallels. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. As long but, as they don't yeah, introduce just, us to Larry um, Kenobi and, you know, a future. <laughs> are, you, are you Larry Kenobi? <laughs> <laughs> Larry Kenobi, that's a name I've not heard since, well, yesterday. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, it just was really um, uh, uh, kind of a vulnerable look at him as a character that we, um, we've we seen some bits of, like, young Kenobi in some comics, um, but nothing that intimate. You know, Other than the Satine arc, really, in, in right. Clone Wars. I'd say that's really the only... The only yeah. time where we see him being anything other than pretty much the perfect Jedi, right? Right. Yeah. Until until he meets Vader in like the construction area and he realizes that his uh his not disconnect but like his pushing back of the force yeah. has led him to be this you know, vulnerable creature and you've got, you know Kenobi. And now is like not two- the time to be vulnerable. Right, he's Bad got time. like he's two fisting his lightsaber, and Vader's just like pounding it with one hand, and he's yeah. out of practice, and it's it's visceral, and you can Obi Wan, you can see on his face, it's like, man, I am not prepared for this, and Vader knows it, and he senses it, but it's almost like a predator and prey that Vader sort of sees this as like a weak prey, and Kenobi's like, I got to get out of here. I know that I'm not ready for this, and I've got a lot of work to do if this is who I'm supposed to be facing. I will say, I did love the callback where uh, Obi Wan is is Vader's kind of battering away at him, and and honestly, this this was a sad and pathetic lightsaber duel, and it was intended to be. I mean, right? My yeah, yeah, my yeah. wife Kim and I talked about this after the episode, and it was, it, you know, it was not the lightsaber duel we'd all been expecting to see when the last thing we saw was Battle of the Heroes uh, between Obi-Wan and Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but it makes total sense. You know, Obi-Wan is, is, well, again, this is one of the other issues, you know, kind of the waxing and waning of his force abilities. You know, one second he's saving someone from falling from a building, the next second he can barely move a small metal box on a table. The next thing you know, he's throwing a planet at someone. Uh, <laughs> very, very, it was very okay, on and off. Spires. Yes. Spires. <laughs> Black spires. Uh, but, but I think, I think the, I think the moment that he knew that he was in trouble was when he pulled his lightsaber out and forgot where the ignition switch was. <laughs> right, right, right. And he was like, ah, oh, crap. 
Sorry, that's a little a, post-it note. Yeah. Press here. No, but but yeah, as he here. was as he was trying to escape from Vader, and he you know slices the mechanical device next to him, and it explodes in a shower of sparks and steam. Very much reminiscent of Luke, you know, using the the steam uh, tube in the the bowels of Bespin to kind of distract yeah. Vader and allow him to kind of get back on equal footing. You know, Vader. You know, in this case, it's more Obi Wan trying to make that escape. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. just when you think he's he's going to manage to get away, and once again, whatever happened to four speed, uh, the light jog off screen apparently is is now the <laughs> the alternative. Uh, and I don't think we've seen that since <laughs> since uh, episode one, really. So maybe it's just a lost art. But yep. uh, you know, that confrontation between Vader and Obi Wan. One trip, and you just yeah, you, you lose all your confidence. Yep. yep. <laughs> One one boost per uh, per series, <laughs> but yeah, that uh, that final showdown, uh, the, kind of the end of that confrontation between Vader and Kenobi was pretty visceral uh, and and totally oh, unexpected man. as far as I was concerned. Yeah, how would you like to be dragged across, uh, you know, flaming coals? Not again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so so if we can jump to to the aftermath of that. In a second, because because this was this was another thing that was really discordant to me was Vader burning Obi Wan. He basically ignites you know the coals with his lightsaber or whatever the the ore is the flaming ore uh, creates the fire, drags Obi Wan into it, throws Obi Wan out of it, extinguishes it, and then when Tala basically shoots the uh, the device that basically sets it all back on fire again, at this point he's no longer able to extinguish flames. And is willing to just give up and let Obi-Wan get away. I thought that was very convenient. Uh, I, I've seen people argue that he was playing with him, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, there's no guarantee that he's ever going to find him again. Uh, right. So well, no, unusual. Quickly, I think it quickly turned into Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> and and then he saw fire and was like, oh, no, like before. I got the reference. <laughs> He was he was concerned for the stormtroopers' lives. No, I, I right. no he wasn't. <laughs> I fully subscribe to the fact that he was toying with him, and I think that at the end of the series and how obsessed he was with Obi Wan Kenobi, um, that payoff comes then, where he fully believed that once he's revealed where he is, he sort of got him on on the run, and this is like just one of the many encounters he's going to have to not seek his revenge, but at least get back at him, and. Him dragging him through, uh, sorry, drag, uh, Vader dragging Obi-Wan through the fire is part of his revenge on what he went through. And once Tala reignited that flame, well, that, that vengeance is no longer there. That's someone else's flame. I'm not going to go that, down that route. And yes, it may be a uh, sort of uh, head we, cannon right off. <laughs> but, no, that's, I but, apologize. But that's that. it. I, no yeah, headcanon. No, I, I can respect that. Look, it's it's exactly what I was talking about before. I mean, there are ways to to justify all these things, and anyone's headcanon. But if you're trying to tell a story, make the story clear. Don't leave it up for interpretation. Is is my take right. on it? Uh, especially with this character. This is a, this is a major character. This is a serious story. If it's worth dumping all this money into telling. Uh, if you really care about the story, I mean, if it's not just about content, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and that's that's the that's the age we live in. In a lot of cases, content's good enough. 
Um, cause we're, I know we're all thirsty to get more star Wars. Uh, some of it's been better. Some of it's been worse. Um, and, and a lot of people are willing to kind of interject their own, their own theories into why things happen. Mm-hmm. And certainly people love to talk about theories for this side or the other thing, but, uh, you know, there, there were, I don't know, just the way that, the way that that left me after Vader was pulling people out of houses, dragging them down the street throwing him here yeah. dragging him there i mean he certainly had the ability to keep obi-wan there if he wanted to um and if you're and gonna let him go the next the next episode if he's ripping a troop transport out of the sky yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 he's got you know obi-wan on a thing like right he can't he can't rip that out <laughs> right right <laughs> and grab him yeah 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 again it, it goes yeah, it, more, that that's yeah. very much in keeping with what i'm talking about with obi-wan's power if he had been disconnected from the force and was slowly finding his way back to that. And certainly by the end of this episode, he knew it was important that he figure out what had, what had been broken. I mean, a broken connection to the force was exactly what the whole Jedi fallen order video game is about. You know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. basis for that in stories they've told before that have worked. Um, but you gotta, you gotta create that path and and get the character back to where they're going to be. And and if it's kind of waxing and waning, to large extents, then it kind of comes off weird, but no, I get it. I mean, um, they certainly, they certainly had a plan for where they wanted to go. It's just kind of like they hadn't thought out all the steps along the way. And, uh, and with this story, they've had a few years to figure that out. So it was just kind of surprising. I will totally give you that the more headcanon that you have to produce to leap from one plot point to another, it's that becomes tougher immediately right you know whether it's from uh reva discovering the link between um uh, obi-wan and uh, uh bale or in this one like why would he let him go through the fire that fosters a well why would you do that right it, it could be something different you know it could be why don't you bring the ship down and it grabs them and it's a for- there's so many but that's and i totally get it and that's where the that uh precipice becomes like a fan to a what you could spend uh, 30 seconds and make it better yeah so that's i'll go go back to what i said before it's the westworld effect right it is it is it is fine it is fine to leave that gap there because there's a huge payoff down the road if you fill it in and people Mm go oh my god i totally missed that but when it when there's nothing there and you're just supposed to make this leap and explain it however you got to explain it to make it work then all of a sudden it becomes all right that's kind of thin but anyway (laughs) what works for one person doesn't work for another whatever yeah yeah and you know let's not let's not pretend it didn't happen in the uh, original trilogy too Mm -hmm. because there was there was some stuff you're like oh wait a minute hold on no no and and look (laughs) that that is that is the case right so um when when you're creating something and what was going on generally in the original trilogy, I mean, there was not all this history. There was not all this mm-hmm. material to draw from for the characters. And I won't even go into animated series. I won't go into comics. I'm not going to go into video games, um, you know, because it, <laughs> I have to I have to do a minor departure here. Right. The whole Taika Waititi thing uh, that came out with this Rolling Stone interview, which started out as kind of a funny aside. Right. He's talking to Natalie Portman. She's like, what are you working on next? And he's like, I'm working on this Star Wars thing. Have you ever wanted to be in a Star Wars? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I was in three of them. 
And he goes, yeah. oh, yeah, I forgot those. You know, it kind of laughs it off, right? But there was another question in that interview, and, and the interviewer was basically saying, uh, you know, for the Star Wars movie you're working on, you said it wouldn't be about Chewbacca's grandmother, right? Tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha. Uh, meaning you weren't interested in, uh, interested in simply diving into the backstory of characters we know. And we understand, I mean, this series is prime A, why that becomes scary. Because when yeah. you're dealing with known characters, there's so many ways to get it wrong. Now, Lucasfilm has a story group. So it's not the, even the director's job to know all the ins and outs. Just the writers in the story group have to work together to make sure they get it right. The director's just mm -hmm. making sure it comes to life. Right. But, you know, Taika's re reaction to that or his answer to that was, I'm never going to please the fans, which is a terrifying answer in the first place because it's not impossible to please Star Wars fans. Um, he goes, you know, I don't want to mess with something so treasured. Also, you feel like you've got to do a lot of research and I don't have any time. I mean, there's thousands of books that have been written, these volumes of books about Star Wars with all the characters. I just don't have time to get through them. And again, you don't have to. There are the hardcore Star Wars fans. And yes, there are going to be things where you can never please them because there's conflicting canon slash leg, mm -hmm. you know, legends, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the majority of people who watch Star Wars are primarily pulling off the the films. And really, in in the majority of the cases, the first six films. And that's something that most adults are going to have some experience with. So I don't think it's impossible. I mean, we know, we know who Luke is. We know who Obi-Wan is. You know, you should be able to get some kind of a feel for that just watching those films. And the idea that you can't deal with those characters seems foreign to me. Uh, there's plenty of safeguards in place to make sure you get it right. So it's kind of scary. Now, what they did here with Kenobi, they shoehorned this in between, you know, the prequels and the original trilogy, which are two of the more beloved trilogies, right? Uh, you know, so they have a lot of things they have to be super careful about. But I don't think that you can't make Star Wars fans happy. I just think you have to kind of understand the characters and be be true to them. And most people are going to enjoy the story if you tell it well. Yeah, and, so and be a my fan soapbox. of it as also. Right. Yeah, it's terrifying to me that, you know, someone who is going to be involved in a major Star Wars project would be like, hey, Natalie, you ever wanted to be in a Star Wars movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is Taika Waititi, so let's let's take that into context. Oh, boy. But they managed to, they and it was a Rolling that. Stone interview, so God knows what the condition of both interviewer and interviewee was. But <laughs> That's true. I mean, they, they managed to do that with the Clone Wars, you know, the animated series True. after the fact, and they made that work 100%. Yeah. And I equate this entire series from where we end up as to a bridge between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope for me. So I think that that can ultimately be done. Uh, it certainly takes a, uh, a skilled hand that can look at the story points and see who the characters are and what those interaction points are. Because like you said, Rob, there's nothing, there's, I can take nothing away from what you're saying as the, some of the pain points of where the story comes and how it goes and what the characters are interpreting. But um, the, uh, the challenge with that is that you have those bookends and you know what they are. And then you're immediately identifying those and you're immediately analyzing those. I mean, look at Ahsoka. She wasn't in, any of the movies they managed to drop her in and take her out and without much without much um consternation at all sure 
but uh, that's not an easy thing to do. So as this series progresses, uh, we sort of get that bookend where we say, okay, well, that's how they close it off. And they, in my opinion, they ultimately do that in the final episode. But the uh, as the episodes progress, you're sort of worried, like, how are these affecting the timeline as we know it? And it's mm-hmm. it's not an easy leap. And I can see it as yeah. week to week. Uh, me looking at it once, watching it for the first time so that I don't get spoiled on Twitter or whatever, and then watching it the second time with Bernadette, and she's experiencing it from a sort of more casual fan, and she's experiencing all these frustrations, highs and lows at the same time. It's interesting to see that from a casual fan because she, with her sort of like casual fan knowledge, like, wait a second, who's this character? I don't recognize this character. Or isn't he dead or isn't she alive? And it's a very interesting perspective to get that. That's, I mean, that's honestly a great point because the truth, the reality is you can put out a show like this and if you're a total casual fan and and you're not that invested in it, this storyline can absolutely work for you. You don't, you know, have the full context of, of everything going on and you can just take it for what it is and enjoy it and you're good to go. And, uh, kind of the parallel I draw. And again, it's, it's not like a, a mainline series, but wheel of time, which I've 14 book series, just incredibly in-depth world. Uh, grew up reading those and and always loved those books. And they finally started making the series on Amazon and watched it with my wife. And we watched seri- the first season and there were parts that were close and parts that wildly diverged. And those were very disconcerting for me. I didn't expect it to be exactly the same, but I thought that the general bones of the storyline would be similar. And, uh, and so it was really discordant for me not to, you know, to, to see it kind of go so far off the rails. Meanwhile, my wife totally enjoyed it for the most part because she had no expectations. Uh, and it's the same thing here, right? So, um, again, I don't think you have to expect that you're going to do everything that's going to please the hardcore Star Wars fan. But I think if you stay true to at least the core films, uh, in terms of the characters that you're dealing with, your success rate's going to be much higher. Um, and, and that's kind of where, as you said, you know, the more, the more points you have to kind of fill in with your own head cannon, it just starts to speak to the fact that, that if they don't care enough to try to make the best story that they can put out there, then what's their motivation? Is it just putting out content? Uh, is it just saying, you know, I know this isn't, I know this isn't as good as what it could be, but this is what we're going to put out and they'll, they'll fill in the gaps where they need to. This is what you get. Right. They knew, look, there was huge demand to see more Obi-Wan Kenobi. It took forever to get it, you know? But uh, well, you by, the, by the time we get it, we got to go back to Tatooine where we've just spent the last two years watching endless scenes from Tatooine. Um, right. If we weren't watching Jakku, which is like budget Tatooine, right? But, hey, sand is cheap. <laughs> right. It's cheap, but it's forced and irritating. You want right? to make everywhere. any bets on whether uh, Vader's suit is sandproof? <laughs> I'm guessing yes. <laughs> but enough of my grumpy self. I think this is a good spot to break the discussion, and uh, we will get back to it, uh, the rest of our conversation, in a future episode. So uh, really enjoyed having this conversation. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And why don't you guys let everyone know where they can find you guys and the Conversations podcast? Oh, man. We're, like, online and stuff, apparently. Uh- <laughs> We have, uh, well, we do have our flagship, our website, and that is conversations.com. 
Um, one of us knows how to tweet, uh, and it's not me. So we are on Twitter at Suations. We also have an Instagram page, and that's Conversations. I don't know if we're doing anything there. I don't do it, so I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, and Facebook.com slash Conversations. We are uh, – I like to say that. Uh, we are uh, part of the Red 5 Network, as, mm-hmm. as is this fine gentleman and Rob. And um, – <laughs> And uh, and and as is as is Roe and and we're thinking of Roe obviously and yes. um, and and um, that's it. We have a, so a t-shirt shop, but you know one of us has been lacking on updating that as it, well. It really doesn't matter. We we have a t-shirt shop too, and about every five seconds I get a notification that something's <laughs> something's been flagged by Lucasfilm. Uh, you can't even can't even mock up a probe droid to look like Wilson. No, anymore see, you know, I, I i think it t- no we're gonna keep our tactics to ourselves i like it <laughs> i like it because i think we've cracked the code yes share <laughs> share with the class and uh again i should point out that i am very much looking forward to you guys making it out to chicago for scarif con 2022 this year i'm given early uh early props to that it's going to be i believe july 23rd saturday july 23rd mm-hmm. at yes. uh I don't at know. bill murray's restaurant up. in chicago so uh, if you are in the chicagoland area definitely check that out we'll have more information as we get closer but thank you guys both for coming on and chatting uh, a little bit of plo coon with me i know he's a, a character that's near and dear to all of us and uh, certainly if you want to find us you can find us at jta podcast uh, dot com. You can also reach out to us on email at jtapodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at jtapodcast. And I think we even have a Pinterest page still uh, wow. that my wife occasionally updates with, uh, with information. So you can uh, find that out there as well. So don't hesitate to reach out if you ever want to talk Star Wars, if you have ideas for future shows. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day and may the force be with you.